welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Welcome back. This is Chris Lewis from the Dads with Daughters podcast, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughter's lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. Today, I am excited to be able to bring you a a guest that is talking about masculinity. And all of us, I think, as fathers have to examine what masculinity means for ourselves as we grow into men. But we also have to kind of re-examine that, especially as fathers to daughters, to be able to understand what does masculinity mean and how do we show that to our own daughters and talk to them about masculinity so that they understand it. So as they're getting older, they understand it to the relationships that they have. And Ed Frauenheim is our guest today. He is based out on the West Coast in San Francisco Bay Area, and he's a co-author of a new book entitled Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and Connection. We're going to be talking about the book today, but we always start off by talking about Ed as a father, and Ed is a father of two, a son and a daughter, and we're going to be talking to him about that and delve a little bit deeper. So, Ed, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks very much, Chris. It's a a pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's my pleasure to have you here today, and as I said, we start off delving a little bit deeper into you as a father. So, I want you to think back, because this is the Dads with Daughters podcast. I'm going to ask you some questions about your daughter. And not to say anything against your son, but we're going to talk about your daughter today and your relationship with your daughter. So when you think back, and you told me your daughter is 15, think back 15 years when when you, or even 16 years, we'll say, when you first found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter, talk to me about that reaction and the experience that you had when you first found that out. It's a lovely question, Chris. Uh, I, I found out that I had a daughter when she came out of the womb, and uh, she was a handful from the start. My wife and I had a home birth, and she was what's called born in the call. Uh, so the, the, the amniotic sac did not break uh, until she came out. And my it was a very kind of challenging birth for, for my wife. And then she came out and spread out her, her arms. They were like these slender wings. It, it struck me as at the time, but I just felt very lucky to have a daughter. Loved having a son. He was two at the time. And so I just felt really grateful to be able to experience raising both sexes as a dad. Now, as you have raised two different children, each child is so unique from one another. And you have different experiences, different memories, different things that really resonate with you and and your child. What would you say has been the most memorable experience that you've had thus far as a father to a daughter? Tough question. Well, one memory that is sticking out in my head, it's partly because it's captured in a photograph, is of playing with my daughter in a uh, my, my father-in-law's pool in, in Arizona. And she was about three or four. And the picture has me tossing her up in the air. And she has this just grin of pure delight on her face. Like she's, she is a really embodied kid, like physical, loves playing soccer, loves rock climbing, also an artist. But in that moment, I think you saw just the spirit of, of joy of, of being up in the air, of flying. And so that's the moment that I love. And I've come back to during the hard times when I parented, remembering that the great connection we had when she was little. And you know, we still have a great connection, but it's, we've had our bumpy times along the way as well. I think every parent goes through those bumpy times. And as you think about, it could be the bumpy times, but, but the regular times too. What has been the hardest part in being a father to a daughter? 
I think it's been the test of wills, you might say, or the battle of wills over time. Because especially when she became into those tween years, around nine and 10, her intense personality kind of gelled and she she was very strong-willed and still is strong-willed. And I think what happened uh, is that I really bumped up against some, some masculinity beliefs I had about dads being in charge, you know, the dominant figure of the family in, in, in control of, of kids, but especially of daughters. You know, this notion that we give away our daughters at weddings, this notion that we protect them uh, from other conquering guys. There, there's a lot of stuff around that that I had to examine and make sense of and get through, you might say, and, and kind of find a way to make space for her really in our family, to have the the, the authority that, that she was seeking and, and have it be also set boundaries still. But basically this idea of raising a strong-willed daughter, especially especially she came into her own as, as a young adult. And as you think about your daughter and that strong-willed daughter that you have, as you think about her future, what would you say is your biggest fear in raising a daughter today? I fear that we will not create a world with enough gender equity for her to to be at her best, to be fully alive in what she wants to do. And when I say that, I, I've spent a lot of my time working on the, the realm of workplaces and trying to create a better workplaces for everybody, especially though thinking about questions of inequality around gender and around race in recent years. And my daughter, you know, at one point she surprised me. She said she doesn't really want, I was telling her one time, I'm trying to make the workplace good for you when you grow up. And she's like, I'm not going to go to work for a company. And I was like, well, maybe you'll be a contractor for, for a company. And she's like, I don't want to do that either. I just want to sell art with my friends. And I was like, oh my gosh. All right. Well, so I love her vision of kind of an independent career, you might say, but at the same time, I even if she does that, I think there's, you know, she's going to be operating with other organizations and people. And I think we're going in the right direction, but there's still a lot of, of bias and and kind of unequal treatment out there that could limit her, especially as someone who's, who is strong voiced and strong willed. You know, it's so interesting to hear that because I have a strong willed oldest myself and, you know, trying to have that battle of wills, but allowing for her to be able to find her own independence and individuality it's challenging sometimes because you as a father tend to want to be able to make the road make the road pay, uh, smoother even though allowing it to be bumpy is probably the best option for her and i know that i've struggled with that over the years is how much do you allow them to struggle how much do you allow are you to do you try to help them to figure out a solution ahead of time and I, in one of our earlier podcast episodes, I was talking to a guest from up in the Seattle area, and she gave a great analogy. And she said that um, when you talk to your daughters, that you should, that one way to be able to truly talk to them is from an early age, go in and you say to them, when they say that they want to talk to you, that you say to them, is this a listening conversation or a solving? conversation and you allow for them to dictate what type of conversation it is because so many times as men we come into a conversation a lot of times with a woman and we try to solve it we try to bring the solution to the table when many times they don't want that they want us to listen and they want us to hear but they don't want us to solve and i it's definitely not a ingrained thing it's definitely not an easy thing i think for a lot of men to be able to do but yeah it's something that you know, it just was an aha moment when I had that previous guest on our show uh, and she brought that forward because she works with a lot of men and talks to them about those things. 
it was just kind of an interesting perspective. For sure. It strikes me that it, it tie, that idea of wanting to solve problems ties into some of these archetypes that uh, we're often told to live up to as men, uh, to be achievers, uh, to be um, protectors, providers. And you know that can lead to us wanting to solve those problems. Like you're saying, Chris, not necessarily make space for our daughters or others to to simply articulate or maybe uh, express what's going on in their lives. So I, I think that's a great distinction as well, the listening versus solving conversation. I might steal that <laughs> with my daughter. Definitely. Now, as I said at the very beginning, you have recently released with a uh, another co-author, author, Dr. Adams, that a book called Reinventing Masculinity, The Liberating Power of Compassion and, and Connection. And you started talking a little bit about some of the archetypes and some of the things that we as men grow up with, a view of what being a male means in society. And then as we grow up, there is somewhat of a reality check of, is that really what it is? Or do we need to re-examine that for ourselves. And I know that one of the things in the book that you you start off with is a notion of what being a man means, but you talk about confined masculinity. Can you talk to me about what does that mean? And, and what are some of the things that men today that you both found that men today are needing to do to be able to start to turn inward to be able to see whether they have fallen into some of these traps? We chose that term confined masculinity because it felt right uh, in terms of looking at what goes on for men today. And and what is it, what's a term that, that gets away from some of the hot button topics like toxic masculinity or a caveman masculinity that you sometimes hear. And it, what, rather we're trying to describe what we notice in terms of the masculine pressures on us or how we're supposed to be men. And what we identified was the limitations. There's a lot of limitations put on men in terms of the roles we can play and the ways we can relate to others. So in terms of these roles, we're kind of stuck in a couple, like the, as I mentioned before, the provider, the protector, the conqueror. And then in terms of relations, we're supposed to be mostly without emotion, stoic. We're supposed to be mostly in competition as rivals. We're most to be, uh, mostly supposed to be showing up as, uh, as sort of those that are invulnerable right? Without, without any flaws or, or chinks in our armor. So that is a style of masculinity, a, a philosophy that's, that's really dominated our society pretty much globally for, for thousands of years, but it's not terribly effective. And what we argue in the book is that it's, it's unhealthy, it doesn't lead to happiness, and it's often dangerous even. So you know this is especially true in the 21st century that's emerging. So just to focus on those, the personal lives, if we are not going to relate to our, our daughter's our spouses, our, our friends with greater emotion, we really cut ourselves off from healthy, great relationships and the ability to really raise our daughters well, I, I believe, and, and as my co-author believes. And so it's really imperative for us to, instead of, as you put it, look inside, have some new ways of framing how we are going to show up emotionally, also how we're going to show up in terms of our relations and see ourselves not so much as, as these islands, as these self-made men, but rather more interdependent with those around us. And so that we can have a positive, deep relationships with our own family members, our friends, our, our colleagues, and, and others in the world. Now, I, I encourage everybody to read this book because I know that there's going to be a ton that we're not going to touch on today. But one of the things from what you just said that hits me is there's got to be some initial steps that all of us are going to have to take to be able to start to break through the armor that some of us may have built up over the years to be able to unveil what lies underneath. So can you talk about that 
and what maybe some initial steps are going to have to be for some men. I'm not going to say all men because some some may already be there, but how some men may have to start to do that, whether it be initial questions that they need to ask themselves, um, whether it be looking internally or externally to themselves to be able to see, you know, how they are acting or reacting, uh, et cetera. Yeah, I, I love the, the idea. How do we start? We have a framework that we came up with in the book that we call the five C's, uh, Chris, that I think is is a path that we've seen toward this, what we call liberating masculinity. And their curiosity, courage, compassion, connection, and commitment. We put curiosity first because as you put it, like there's questions just to pose. Questions that for a lot of guys, we've kind of moved to the side as we get older because we're not supposed to ask questions. We can look dumb if we're, if we're posing questions and not showing up as the smartest guy in the room. But if we start letting ourselves ask questions like, is this really how I want to show up as a man? Uh, in the world with a, with a pretty, you know, emotionally cold front and not super warm. That's a question to ask. Is this all there is to being a man in the world? If, if we don't have these deep friendships, if we don't have deep relationships with our daughters and spouses and other family members. So those are some questions. And then you pretty quickly get into the courage piece, because are you willing to start acknowledging emotions that may be hard for us as men? It, like sh- most emotions like shame, emotions like sadness, that maybe we don't have a, a tight relationship with our own parents or with our own siblings or, or with our own daughters. And to s- sort of like really face those and sort of acknowledge them. Sometimes, it, you know, it, me- it means tears, you know, ideally with close friends or family members, we can kind of open up about maybe ways we've shut down our feelings because that's how we've been told to do as men. But if we're really going to show up as great dads, I think we have to sort of start asking those questions and start courageously looking at our own interior landscape. And that's definitely not going to be an easy thing for some. I think that it takes it's going to take bravery. It's going to take time to be able to unpack some of the background and the baggage that people bring with them. And sometimes, it, it, in my mind, it would seem like some of that might be very unconscious as well. Is that what you're finding as well? Yeah. I, I think a lot of these these deep-seated beliefs are are hard to, to shake. You know, it, one other another thing we might ask ourselves is what is the kind of self-talk that goes on in our heads all the time? Which is to your point, kind of almost unconscious talk. Like I'm supposed to be this this dad who controls my daughter and determines what sh- how she shows up in the world. That really she's my property almost, you know. And or like maybe lines that like I I'll never understand my daughter or be able to to get close to her because that's just not what I'm supposed to be as as a guy. If we can kind of acknowledge those things, those those almost silent voices, but they're quietly running in our in our heads often. And then there's I think I would say Chris, it's also important to be self compassionate. Because we can so easily beat ourselves up as guys. Say, ah, oh, I haven't been a great dad. I haven't been a great, as good a, a provider as I could be and making as much money as I could to support my my daughter or, or, or kids. And the idea of acknowledging that we feel bad and taking steps to alleviate our own grief or our own sadness, maybe with asking a, for a friend to, to, to listen to us and, and just share how we're, how we're doing or potentially to seek forgiveness if, if we feel bad about a, a behavior we've had. And that's one thing I've really learned to do with my daughter over time is the seek forgiveness piece. So for someone that needs to ask for forgiveness, it gets to that point. And asking for forgiveness is definitely not something that all men are comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. You know, many men are raised to say that what you're doing, you should be the man, right? You should, yeah. you don't ask for forgiveness. You should be that that alpha male, right? But as you just said, there's going to be 
some aspect of yourself that we have to be able to say, I'm sorry, and that we are for, we're asking for forgiveness for some past wrongs. And how would you say that we get to that point if you come to the table with the type of baggage that you have been raised to see asking for forgiveness as a weakness? I think it can come from the desire to be good dads. At least that's kind of how it was for me, Chris. And I'm saying this with knowing how hard it is, because I remember what I struggled with was getting mad at my daughter for her getting mad. You know, her having a temper and and sort of uh, uh, being disrespectful or or surly. And my response was often bringing even more heat to her, which ultimately wasn't successful <laughs> in like in helping her to get to a place of anger management. So I ended up taking a class on anger management because she said, dad, you need anger management as much as I do or more. And so I'm like, okay, I'll take a class on anger management. And I did that. uh, And I learned a lot of good stuff about how anger is often sadness masked. You know, we don't want to acknowledge the sadness. But then to your point, if us asking for forgiveness as men is acknowledging that we're vulnerable, that we're not invincible, we can make mistakes. And I started realizing if I just apologize to my daughter, Skyla, when I've lost my temper at her, you know, I went first, you know, I'm the adult in the room, right? And and it, it started having an impact where, I, okay, now she does that too now. And we're both quicker, I think, at recognizing when we've, you know, lost our temper or, or treated each other unkindly. So uh, I think if you have as your, your North Star purpose to be a better father and to raise your daughter in a way so that she can control her and manage her emotions and show up as a powerfully, but also as respectfully, respectfully as, as she can, then we have to start on our own psyches and our own behaviors and our own patterns first. And that often means asking for forgiveness. Even when we think our daughters need to ask it, if we do something that's not right, ideal, let's ask for forgiveness and good things are likely to happen. Now, do you find that individuals need to start with their kids when it comes to this and being a better dad? Or Is it really more of a conversation of what can I do to be a better spouse or a partner with the other, with the other adult in our lives? I think it could be either one. And and for, in our family, it was sort of simultaneous. We did some family counseling around how do we parent better? How do we, you know, have uh, kids that are better adjusted? And my wife and I realized we needed to treat each other better. And that we needed to be willing to be acknowledging those times we're not treating each other well and ask for forgiveness of each other. So there was a combination uh, in our family. I'm, I'm not sure, you know, maybe there is some evidence or research on which is more important to start with, but I would suggest all these things can start happening simultaneously. Maybe it's easier to start with your your spouse because not as many buttons get pushed for you that when your kid is, is also, you know, uh, making you, you know, lose your temper or act in ways you, you regret later on. But I think it could be either one, probably. Now, we talked about those initial steps and kind of the the steps that you mentioned earlier. What else are people going to be finding as they read through this book? What are they going to be taking away in regards to kind of those, those additional kernels of knowledge from reading the book itself? One thing that they'll take away is inspiring stories. And and these stories include stories of, of men as fathers. In particular, there's a story of a of a man that worked that was uh, in in my co-author Ed Adams' men group. Uh, he had a men group called Men Mentoring Men, and a, a fellow in that group was like a lot of older guys in their 50s, 60s, 70s who did not have really close relationships with their with their kids because that was a function of that kind of stoicism. And in the course of getting supported by other men from my co-author Ed Adams, this fellow realized he needed to reach out to his daughter, who was an adult at this point. 
in the middle of a men's group meeting, called her from, from the office where they, they were having this meeting and came back and, and acknowledged and, and said to the group, you know, we we're, we're on the better path. I, I asked for forgiveness or we, we wanted to reset our relationship. And, you know, there was not a dry eye in the room when, when he came back, that, that's how powerful that can be. So there's the stories can really inspire you to, to take some of these initial steps or, or go further. You'll also see our other concept of the masculinity that I think is emerging, that it really fits the 21st century, which we call liberating masculinity. And I can say a bit more about that if you'd like, but those are those are two two takeaways that I'm excited to share in the book. Well, why don't you talk about the liberating masculinity aspect of it and give a little more context to that? Sure. We see this liberating masculinity as, as sort of the other end of the spectrum from a confined masculinity, but it's, it's not exactly an opposite, but it's more kind of a building on. So you with liberating masculinity, you can continue those roles of provider, protector. You can be emotionally protected or kind of stoic if you need to in certain circumstances, but you are freed up to take on more, to take on more roles and to, sh- and to relate to people in new ways. So for example, you can be a caregiver now. You could be a nurse, for example. You can be a, a sensitive lover, not just the sort of alpha male kind of conquering lover. You can be a, a steward of the earth. In, you know, not so, something who, who's trying to rake in the dough to, to protect one, gather you know, resources for one's own family. And then our way of relating includes all the emotional expressivity that we've been talking about, as well as an, an understanding that we are connected to others. We so often think that we are, we've got to be self-sufficient and kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but we're suggesting that actually isn't a very accurate view of humanity. We are social creatures. Our achievements you know, always involve standing on other people's shoulders and, and having coming out of a context. So this liberating masculinity acknowledges that and then encourages us to encourages us to strengthen those bonds with those around us and, and act in a way that is really part of a community. Well, I'm looking forward to reading this book all the way through. I It sounds like an amazing book that will definitely make you think even deeper about your own journey as a man. And I appreciate you sharing that. And we're going we're gonna to put a link in the notes today to make sure that you have the ability to be able to check out this book for yourself. Now, Ed, we always finish our interviews with what I like to call our fatherhood five, where I ask you five questions to delve even deeper into you as a dad. Are you ready? Ready. In one word, what is fatherhood? Care. When was the time that you finally felt that you succeeded at being a father to a daughter? When my daughter started saying that she loved me again after kind of a long break in that how would your kids describe you as a dad? Well-meaning and goofy, probably. Embarrassing, too. Yeah, embar- I, I mean, hopefully, right? Every, every dad's embarrassing in his own way. Now, who inspires you to be a better dad? A lot of my friends. I'm really lucky to have some close guy friends who are just amazing fathers. And uh, there's one of them shows up in, in the book. I talk about how he's a fathering his two sons who are teenagers or tweens in a way that is just super attentive and thoughtful. And I have a, another guy who's the godfather of, of, of my daughter, Skylar, another one of my best friends. And he also is an, an amazing, good listening dad. So I would say that those those fellows and also my own dad, who's, who's showed up for me in, in wonderful ways across my life. And you've given a lot of different advice today, but if you were to leave one piece of advice for dads today, what would that piece of advice be? To feel free to love our daughters. I think that, you know, we, we often feel like we've got to be bottled up with our emotions. And I think that's one of the things that I've learned over time. And, and I've, it's been reinforced in the course of writing this book with, with my, my, my co-author 
just to express that we love our daughters. That's in some ways, one of the most powerful things we can do is just keep telling them that no matter how they respond. So, and that makes us joyful as guys, I think, or it has made me joyful. So I would say, feel free to love our daughters. Ed, I want to say thank you. Thank you for not only being a co-author of this, this great new book, and as I said, we will put a link in the note today or in the notes today, because it's definitely a book that I think every man can learn from. And uh, but thank you for writing this and providing this and getting this out there. But secondly, thank you for everything that you're doing to be a great father as well, because we are always looking to be able to tell the stories and share the stories of fathers that are doing their best, because we all do whatever we can to be the best dads that we can be. Not always easy. But it is definitely something that we strive for. And you're a great example of that. So thank you for being here. And I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Chris. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons, we make the meals, we buy them presents. Bring your A-game, cause those kids are growing fast. The time goes by just like a dynamite blast. Calling astronauts and firemen, carpenters and muscle men. Get out and be the world to best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be